0: to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue this morning with, with, a, with a series that I've been preaching over the last couple of months uh, with regards to Gods at War. And for those that haven't been here, I'm going to do a very short recap of those previous two. And uh, today's message, or, or the one that we're going to be focusing on here today, is, is um, I've Got the Power. You all know that song. I wanted to play it to you. I, I was tempted to sing it to you. I'm not going to. Anybody know? You, you know what, what song I'm talking about, right? Okay. Do any of you know who sings that song? I heard somebody said it. Yes, <laughs> me! <laughs> Thank you, me! Alrighty, okay, that's all. Okay, so we're going to be focusing on the temple of power here today. But before we get to that, I just want to quickly recap on the, on the previous ones that, that we covered. And, and the, just the underlying theme here is, is not to focus so much on those idols... As actually just defeating those idols, so that we would draw near to Jesus. Um, and I'm not here today to hit anybody here with a hammer. I'm working through some of these things myself. Okay, We've ne- none of us have arrived. If you have arrived, please send us the directions, um, because we all need to get there. All right. So very quickly, we're talking about idols. We're talking about idolatry, and. Uh, the real issue with, with a lot of issues, I'm not talking about brokenness. I'm not, not talking about when you are uh, hurt in a certain area per se. But I'm talking about when we struggle with certain things, very often you can draw that back to some form of idolatry that have taken the place of God in your life. Um, and and to, I'm not, not going to cover you too much in detail in that, but the, the real issue, a lot of things you can draw back to some form some form of idolatry. And we had a look at... The Israelites worshiping the golden calf. Um, Next one, that one, and um, and that's yeah, that's obviously not that one. The next one, okay? The Israelites worshiping the golden calf. They they carved out images for themselves of of gold. They put took everybody's earrings. And they they cast out this thing. While Moses was up in the mountain, God telling him, giving him the Ten Commandments. And very ironic that one of the Ten Commandments is, is, you will not make any idol, you will not worship any other idol, any other God before me. While God is telling this to Moses, the Israelites downstairs, they busy doing this. And Moses arrives down there, asks Joshua, what did the people do to you that you did this? And he says, Well, I actually only took the stuff, threw it in the fire, and out came this golden calf. Um, which obviously is not a not a quite uh, the, the most accurate reflection. But the thing is, we can really cast an idol out of anything. We make we worship anything that we that, that, that we want actually. We can make an idol out of anything. And it's not only in images it is, in, in, in our Western world, it's a lot more abstract, uh, where it is not a thing that we actually carve out, but your career is one of those things which you make, but which you can actually, in a sense, put before before God, or your family, etc. Alright, and um, so what, li- what lies beneath the surface really is this, this thing about idolatry, and then what where we spoke about is that the battleground for defeating idolatry is our own hearts. We can go to, we can go around and we can we can go and uh, break down a whole lot of idols and, and stuff, but 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 really the battle the battleground is is in our hearts. Um, so when when we're talking about waging war against idolatry or waging war against gods, which aren't really perso- really gods, but um, in our hearts they've taken the place of the God. Then that is where that is where the battle takes place, is in our hearts. So if you just walk upstream, you'd you'd see that there's a fruit in my life of Okay, this this is just an example, okay? <laughs> um, a fruit in my life that I cheat on my wife. May that never happen. Amen? amen. Okay, I mean I've got to, everybody here agree. All right. But Let's say there's that kind of a fruit in my life. If I walk back upstream to where the root problem is, there's probably some form of idol that is that I've started to worship, that has in the end resulted in that. Like for example, um, one of the gods that we that we looked at is the god of sex, for example, or um, which 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 comes back to lust. So if I deal with a root issue, walking upstream to the to the root cause of the issue, then the actual end product won't actually happen. So if you're struggling with certain things, just go back a little bit further upstream and just investigate, is there not perhaps something else that I'm struggling with? Um, or pride. Pride can be one of those things where, which really inhibits you from entering into the presence of God. And then very important and, um, is why, why did God not want us to worship other gods? So because he's a spoil sport, Scripture says that he is a jealous God. Now, if you weren't here in the previous two, why we often can like make a connotation with jealousy as a negative and a bad thing. How can God say he's a jealous God if we think he's it's it's negative? But I'm going to explain it like I, I usually explain it like this: If somebody, where's Gerald? I normally use him as an example. If Gerald goes and flirts with my wife, okay. <laughs> Which he hasn't done, not that I know of, at least, um, and which also Christine doesn't know of. Um, if he does that, and there is not some sort of a holy anger that rises up within me as her husband, in whom she's in covenant with, then it, 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 it um, what is the, what is the word? It not portrays, it betrays. It betrays my love towards Christine. Me rising up with a holy anger towards taking him out communicates that I have a real sense of value placed on the covenant that's between Christine and myself with God. And that is what, what God, in, the, in that context, which, which God also explains to us, that he is a jealous God. He, he said, let's read that scripture. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 2 to 5. I am the Lord your God, this is God talking to Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And that should be a comforting thing for us because... God saying that He is a jealous God for us. What that means also is that He is eternally committed in love towards us. And that He will fight for the relationship for our hearts. And He doesn't want anything to come in the way of that relationship between us and Him. And therefore, that, that's where that holy anger comes from. If there's anything that takes more significance, more importance in our lives, than God, first and foremost, then... It's all upside down. And there's a lot of good things that can come in the way. And these, these are some of the things that, that we looked at um, over, the, over the course of those, those two, two sermons. Is that we looked at, within the context of the temple of pleasure, we had, a, we had a look at the God of food, how we worship food, the God of entertainment, the God of sex. And then in, in, the, in the context, or with, as part of relationship week, we, we had a look at love, sex, family, and marriage. Uh, no, in family, got love, sex, romance, and family, um, and I just broke it down into into those things. And within the context of the temple of love, we spoke about the god of romance and the god of family. I'm not going to repeat all of that. You can go and download the sermon, and uh, or you can have it on podcast. All right. So I'm not going to not going to recover those things. Those are some of the things that are potentially if can take up presidents in our lives and become an idol which we put before god now here's a question is what do we do when we recognize that there is idolatry in our lives very simple in in revelations 2 verse 2 to 5 says this is um let me just read a few i know your works your labor your patience and that you cannot bear those who are evil and have preserved and have patience And have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. So remember that this is a letter to one of the churches, okay? Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you Repent. So if ever there is sin in your life, if ever there is idolatry in your life, what do you do? Repent. Come back to your first love. And from that place is your, is, is where you, is your starting point. Okay, so that is just the golden, golden rule in your relationship with God. Just don't, you don't have to fast and, 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 and walk around for weeks wondering whether you must repent of sin. Okay? Just do it. Okay? And if you don't want to, then ask God to give you the willingness to repent. Or, alternatively, ask him to really see your sin for what it is. Filthy. Separating you from God. It is something that God doesn't want there that is in the way of his relationship with you. Um, often, we, we struggle to let go of sin because we don't see it for what it is. It brings separation between us and God and our relationship with God. Amen. Okay. So now here we come with to, to, uh, to the power. All righty. The Temple of Power. In the, in the Temple of Power, there's also primarily three gods. And uh, this is out of the ex- extract out of, out, of, out of that book called uh, Gods of Gods at War from Kyle Auderman. So whenever I've written it in italics, it, it comes out of there. So you can read with me. The gods of power work from one shared premise. We can take care of ourselves. We can handle all our needs. The Lord is nice. But it really isn't necessary. We don't need to pray for our daily bread because we've got a pantry full of it. The gods of power appeal to our self-sufficiency, and this is a, this is, I think, for us in Johannesburg. This is this this sermon is going to hit home quite hard. Okay, so if you feel like I'm just talking to you, I'm not. Okay, you're not that special. Um, <laughs> God is talking to each and every one of us here today. And a lot of us, especially young working that have come from university, we've come to Johannesburg, a lot of us at least. Why? Because the job opportunities are here. And they pay better in Johannesburg. They pay us better because the pace is faster here. They pay us better here because you don't have a life here. Um, okay, that's, that's not true. I love my life here in Johannesburg. Anyway... This, there's a lot of things that you can learn here in Johannesburg. So anyway, so ju- just on that note, I'm just, just going to park it there for, j- just for a moment. But if you've moved up to Johannesburg for the f- for your primary reason, just because it's a better job, a better paying job, and it's got a better, you've got more opportunity to aspire to something. And it's not first, those things are good things, by the way, those are good things, but if it's not first in following God's call in your life, then I want to say you must just go and kind of reevaluate. Just just align your heart. There's a possibility, I'm not saying is, there's a possibility that there is one of these gods of power that 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 is determining the direction of your life. Amen? It's very quiet now. Okay. It's all right. Uh, shake somebody next to you say he's talking to me as well. And like I said, I haven't arrived in this. God speaks to me as well in this. Okay, read with me. The God of success. The first one that we're going to look at. The God of success has no problem finding followers. He is attractive, compelling, charismatic. He walks into your everyday rat race world and shows you what life could be at the top of the heap. And what he's selling is hard to ignore. He offers us the applause and envy that makes life sweet. This God gives us a line as old as the Garden of Eden. You can run the whole thing. It's your life. So why shouldn't you be at the wheel? Why not put the pedal down and see how fast you can get to the finish line? The God of success are all about personal achievement, rewards we chase and get for ourselves. Is life going to be good? Are we going to be satisfied? The gods of success give us very convenient ways to keep score: the title after our name, the sum on our paycheck, the square footage of our new house, and put in their new car. We put our hope and find our identity in what the god of success offers, and so we climb and claw our way to the top. Now, in one way or another, this is either not even close to home; it's in our homes. Or you see it all around you in the world. Okay, this is how the world operates. You climb and claw your way to the top no matter what, no matter who you trample on, etc. And uh, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's this amazing kid's story. And uh, thank you, Alette. I don't know if Alette is here. She gave this book. There's Alette. Gave this book to Elaine. Um, I don't know what the Afrikaans version is called. Pink and Olsi. I don't, know, I don't know what the English version is called, actually. Is it also Pink and Olsi? It's quite a weird was it that one okay and uh it's it's a story about a a a carpenter that that makes these little wooden men and they've got their own little town and uh his name is eli and there's then this one little boy e, um pink and or oh, what that one <laughs> and uh so i'm gonna stick to pink and Olsey. and uh there's there's one of the stories uh called yes minor you are mine and what they i think it's yeah it's that one where the story picks up where the people of the town for some reason they they start they start gathering like this one person gets a box an empty box and then they've got a ball and and then other people start noticing it and they don't and they start seeing, but I don't have something like that. So they also get one. And then the burgermeister, the mayor, also gets one. And then the, the mayor's wife, she just gets more. And it's just this, it's a very, very funny story, but it's so true. And then this whole town goes on this, this rant about getting more and more boxes and balls. And just as soon as somebody thinks they've got boxes and balls, somebody changes the rules. And you have to not only have the most but you need to be the highest and it's just it's just got this down spiral and it's very it, it's on dvd as well but it's these these kids stories just so speaks right into right into our everyday lives and uh, it's and, and then at the end like Nolsey is also caught up in this whole thing of comparing himself what i've got what they've got and those people are talk, talking down to those people because they don't have any or and they, they ascribe their value to how much they have or what they've achieved, their, their, their success, um, up into the point of where Pink and alsosi, he runs up the mountain with all of his stuff, and all of a sudden it's dark and it starts to rain. He even sold his house to get this, these, these boxes and balls. And he realizes, at the end of the day, he was alone, all alone, in the dark, it rains. What has he done? And then eventually ends up back at Eli's house. And Eli just has this very good conversation. And obviously in the story, Eli sort of represents God because he's the creator of, of these men. But that, that back, to, back to our lives, we can draw that back to our lives, in, um, and especially in this rat race of Johannesburg, is that we can very easily run after those things and start comparing what the Joneses have next door or what do I not have. And it's very interesting. Um, one of the ministries that we have here in, in, uh, in, Sh- in for Johannesburg, is called Body Serve. And it's not, not to, not, if, you, if, if we're helping you financially, it's not by any means aimed at you. Um, it, it, there's a place of where the body of Christ comes together to, to help serve the needs of those in the congregation. So what, this, what Body Serve does is it's, it's a way of us contributing to the needs of other people in the congregation who's financially going through a difficult time, And we help them to get back onto onto their own feet. If you want to get involved, meet me at the info table afterwards. Okay, that's just a short ad break there. Okay, but what I've noticed is different people used to different lifestyles of living um, try to maintain a certain lifestyle of living when they don't necessarily can. And you get somebody that's used to a different lifestyle... And they're a lot more thankful and grateful for what they can come out with. So what what I'm just saying is that we we need to make a big paradigm shift about what is it that we really need. In our Western mindset, it's I need to have a car. No, no, no. If I'm a family, we need to have two cars and a trailer and a couple of dogs and cats and a home and insurance for all of those things. You get pet insurance these days as well. Do You know that? Yeah, anyway, some of you have pet insurance. It's fine. <laughs> um, but the more stuff we have, the more risk is there that the, the rust and the moth and the scallops, they come and steal it and it breaks. And it, it's just, I, I'm just putting it out there. That's not the main, main, main point I want to make here today. It's just that there's a mind shift that we need to make often about how we find our contentment in this world, because we base our contentment often based on whether I meet up with the people next door or with how I used to live or not. Um, and I know that's a it's a difficult one to swallow, um, but it is it is so true. And we try to climb this ladder and ladder and ladder, and we try to get out with less and less and less. Um, but sometimes you actually need to stand still and reevaluate your lifestyle if your circumstances for the moment. Doesn't dictate for you to be able to live in that lifestyle. Can I hear an amen from the students? Yeah, students are broke. <laughs> Don't worry, I've been there, done that. Was also broke. Um, so, I'm <laughs> alrighty. Okay, let's read read a scripture here. I'm gonna read you a story from Mark 10. As Jesus Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before God. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And just stand still there for a moment. Just note there that this guy, he he runs up to Jesus. And he, I mean, he he asks him a very good question. But he's sort of, he's communicating something there in his intro speech. There, Good teacher. It gives a little bit of way about the rest of the conversation. He's going to ascribe what Jesus is going, what he's asking Jesus based on whether he's good or not. Good enough or not. So the God of success very much also is a place, not only but is a place, and this is one I just want to stand still at, is we think often that if I'm good enough, then I will be accepted. And we do this with church as well. We do this with God as well. And this came out this morning in ministry as well. And then he says, What must I? Do to inherit that, what must I do? Could have been asked, What must what, what can I or not inherit? The Greek word, therefore, that inherit that can that, that he's using there can also be interpreted, What can what must I do to acquire eternal life? What must I do to, to get it? And uh, yeah, what Jesus replies to him. Okay, I'll come back to that slide now. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. And fell. Okay, that was, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Then Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Now, for a guy that wants to measure whether he makes it or not, that's the, that's the answer that you're looking for, from Jesus. If you do all this stuff, then you'll be fine. And he's like, yes, I'm going to get it. Yes. And then he he's replies, teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Just, just, just pause there. I've, I've never seen this part in the scripture, actually, until I prepared this for the sermon. It says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Just take that in for a moment. Jesus looked at him. He knew what was in his heart. But he looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And it's a it's, it's it's a striking a striking story. Now, what is why is Jesus going so hardcore on this guy? Not as if he did the same with Zacchaeus when Zacchaeus was up in a tree and he he stole people's money as a tax collector, I don't know. He, the difference is like like Zacchaeus came, he repented, and I believe that if God if, if Jesus asked that of Zacchaeus, he probably would have done that. Yeah, Jesus goes so hardcore on this guy because he goes to indirect competition for what he ascribes as the most valuable thing in his life. So the truth of the matter is that God can walk into any one of our lives, tell us, sell everything that you have, come follow me. Some of you are like, I hope he doesn't do that to me. We all secretly hope that. <laughs> um but the thing is that God can actually do that, and that's not a requirement for salvation. Okay, just He goes hardcore on this guy uh, for a reason because He's going indirect competition for whatever He is ascribing the most value to. I'm asking you, what are you ascribing the most value to? If it is success, I want to say God is gonna. If He's not confronting it right now, He's gonna confront that soon. And. You can, see, you can see some scary signs in our, economy, in our um, economy at the moment. And if you're busy panicking about our economy, which I think all of us do, to a certain degree, but if you have restless nights, if you really fear for the future, I want to say just take your hope, put your trust away from the stock market, and put it in God. I'm, I'm, not, what I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying go and withdraw all your money and sell all your shares and give it to the church. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? I'm saying put your hope in God. Amen? Alright, I need to go a little bit quicker here. Okay, the God of success. So in God's economy, success only comes when we declare spiritual bankruptcy. In, uh, in the beginning of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount jesus starts off with the beatitude he says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now i believe it is a lot easier for people who are poor in the natural to receive the gospel because they can associate with being poor we a lot of us at least struggle to associate with being poor in spirit because we have much in the natural and until we don't identify that the much in the natural is just as much worth as nothing in God's economy, um, we're going we're gonna to struggle with, like, like, like that, the further down in that, that same scripture, how, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Because it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for, for a rich man to, to become saved. And then he goes further down and the disciple says, oh, so, but, but God, who can be saved then? Um, and he says it's impossible and that's the point he's making is that people can't save themselves with their money they can't save themselves with their achievements so Jesus redefines a successful life as one that humbly says to God I can't do this on my own I need your help okay, so the, the thing is that we need to change our scorecards so when our lives are defined by the world's definition of success, that's idolatry. Matthew 16, verse 26 says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? His master replied, Matthew 25, verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Just shake somebody next to you to check whether they're awake. The God of money. Now, all of these three gods that I'm looking at, they're, they're all really interlinked and they're related. They just have a little bit of a different face, maybe. Okay, so money, the God of money. Money has grown so dominant in our culture that it's difficult for us to stand far enough back to get a perspective. No matter what we may say, many of us live as if the pursuit of wealth is the real goal in life. Sometimes we hear rich people say things like, money doesn't make you happy. But most of us think... They all flew first class to some exotic destination where they got together and agreed to say that to make the rest of us feel better. We pay lip service to the idea that money isn't that important. But how we spend our time and what we pursue seem to reveal our true belief. Money by the ton is the ultimate dream for so many people. When they talk about an ultimate fantasy... It's it's winning the lottery, or inheriting a fortune from some rich relative. You can probably talk about this question. If I gave you a million bucks, what would you do it do with it? Oh, on that. By the way, um, for the people here on the left, under one of your seats, don't look. Okay, (laughs) under one of your seats is a hundred rand note. Okay. Don't look. If you look now, you're disqualified. Marcus, I see you. (laughs) Um, Okay, so what I want you to do with that 100 Rand note, okay? You can reach down. It's yours, okay? Reach down, see if it is there, okay? If it's not under yours, don't run for the empty chairs. I'll give you guys a hint. It's somewhere here in the front, though. It's not in the front row. It's, see, I'm providing for my students. I know they always sit in the front (laughs) there. Who's got it? Yes, Kelsey. Okay, hang on, hang on to that. I've got further instructions for you, but for now it's yours. Okay, you're on the right. (laughs) right, You're on the right. There's a 50 Rand note under one of your chairs. Okay, but before before you have a look. What I want you to do with your 50 Rand, okay, what you only allowed to go to the info table and to go purchase one of the chauffeur band CDs. Okay, you get discounts, only 50 bucks. It's, it's not really 50 bucks to the info table, but you can buy it with that 50 bucks for a chauffeur band CD. Okay, so just have a look under your seats. And, if the, and the, if the seat in front of you is empty, you can feel there as well. All righty. Okay, Kelsey. What I want you to do with that money, it's yours. Okay? I gave it to you. Okay. But I want you to go to somebody in your I want you to, offer the service, I want you to give that money away to someone. Okay. You can choose who to. Okay. All right. What did I just do here? I, yeah, I gave. <laughs> but here's the thing. Both the 100 rand and the 50 rand became theirs, in a sense. It wasn't really theirs because I gave Dorette specific instructions to do with that money what she needed to do. Kelsey was under the impression, I've got 100 bucks, I'm going to have a nice lunch or something like that. Until I told her, no, you're actually going to give it away. Now here's the point I'm making. With our finances, actually with anything in our lives, our time, our finances, everything, it is not ours. We don't have the final say about our stuff we live as if we do? Amen? I hope the penny dropped there, or the hundred rand dropped. Yeah, uh, sorry, let me just give my space here. All right, Luke 12, verse 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, just, just to give you a little bit of background, Jesus is he's, he's talking with his disciples. There are thousands of people around him, but he's talking to his disciples. When Until this one guy out of the crowd comes to him. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with him. Now this is a random thing to come up to Jesus to talk to him about. Because he, God is talking about eternal stuff in this context. There are thousands of people. And this guy comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, like Teacher, come and just tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I, I don't feel it's fair. Now, it's, it, scripture doesn't dictate that, but it's, more, it's most likely that this is not the oldest child in the house. Because in, in those traditions, the oldest got a double portion of what the rest got. Okay? First, firstborn, um, right. Jesus replied, Man, imagine him saying that to you. Man, <laughs> yeah. Man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he, te- then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of Greed. A man's life does not consist in an abundance of his possessions. And then he told them this parable. So this guy prompted this story. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Now just bear in the back of your, of your mind, this guy is already rich. He thought, um, he, and then he had this good crop. Okay? So then he was mega rich. What sh- then he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Okay, those emphasis are mine, (laughs) eh? Then he said, this is what I shall do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And and, And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. What you pick up there is the seagull theme of Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. (laughs) Eh? If you haven't watched Nemo, then you can come borrow ours again um is 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 the is the thing of all of this is mine there isn't anything per se wrong with having riches for being rich having big bonds having a huge share portfolio however my question to you is whose is it is it mine (laughs) or is it his um, because the moment you say it's mine, what that thing is actually saying is that you are mine. You get, did you get that? Okay. What those money or share portfolios are saying is that you are his. The money. Did you get that? You look very confused now. Anyway, what I'm saying, if you say that is mine, that thing is saying back to you, you are mine. Okay. You can't possess money. Money possesses you unless it is god's amen all right okay 1 timothy 6 verse 6 to 10 and then 17 to 19 Quibus read the scripture during the offering he didn't know i'm preaching he didn't know i was going to preach this message it's amazing oh wait no, i've, I've run ahead sorry before we get to that scripture here's just a couple of divine attributes i put it in inverted commas because it's obviously not really divine but we 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 tend to look to these to money to provide these three, three things for us. Three. Proverbs, um, for our source of security. For our source of satisfaction. And our source of significance. Yeah, Proverbs 30 verse 8 to 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I might, I might have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? And For our source of satisfaction... If you love money, you, never, you will never be satisfied. If you long to be rich, you will never get what you want. Our satisfaction can only be found in God. Source of significance. We often, in our world, we often judge our worth based on our net worth. Now, I lost all the engineers. Okay? All the accountants are like, yes, I got that. Okay. <laughs> All right. We base our worth often on our net worth. What is your bank balance? What does your balance sheet say about... Um, some of you are like, what balance sheet? Never mind. Okay. Can you go talk to the accountants after? You know how you can identify the accountants in the room? It's the guys with a with slightly thinner striped shirts. It's typically accountants. Okay. Guys that are... Engineers, they'll have wider stripes or those kinds. Okay, <laughs> guys, looking at one another. <laughs> it's funny. You go go to the corporate world and check what shirts the guys wear. Guys, a suit and tie have, have, have like very thin stripes. The engineers have either got blocks checked shirts or they've got thicker stripes. Go check it out for yourself. Amuse yourself. Okay, one Timothy six verse sixty ten contentment, contentment. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not, it's not saying that money is evil. It's saying that the love of money is a root for all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Before I read verse 17, I just want to just, just interject here. You don't have to be rich in order for money to be an idol in your life. Like Idolatry of money... Goes into poverty and into extreme richness. richness. Amen? So, just, just to bring that in, it's, I'm not, it's not just talking to those guys that actually have a bank balance. From verse 17 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. For our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Amen. Okay. I'm going to run a little bit over time as we're just going to cover the last, the last idol. before we cover the last one just i want you to ask these questions to yourself to evaluate whether the god of money as a as a it, you bow the knee sometimes to the god of money how often do you compare what you have and how much you make to others how much anxiety do finances add to your life or the lack of to what extent are your dreams and goals driven by money and what is your attitude towards giving we're going to in this in this next week or two we've got a small group series the, the third and for the year is we, we we've sent it to the small group facilitators in the next week or two you're going to be watching a a a part of that small group seri- series and it's about stewardship and one of those one of the four things that we're going to be talking about in small group about stewardship one of them is our finances but some of the other things is about our circles of influence our relationships. Um, how do we steward the voice of God, and how do we steward our time? So, just just as a heads up, you're going to be talking about this in small group as well. Okay. Then the last one, we look at the we look at the the the, the God of achievement. Um, as as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, can I have ten minutes? And we are done. I oh, know I'm a little bit late. Okay, ten, ten, ten. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'm going to run through this very quickly, okay? As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus replies, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And I'm not going to go into detail for the sake of time into this one, but what I just want to bring under your attention here is achievement and performance, sort of the same word. We often measure, or we, we often go about how do we perform. And for us that are very task-driven sometimes, this is, this is one to, to just keep in the back of your minds, that we don't start to idolize productivity and the end goal and, and, and not engage with what God wants us to be engaged with. Like with, with, with Martha, she was doing good stuff. She was serving Jesus. And uh, we need to actually first sit at the foot of, foot of Jesus. And we think that we can perform... And do all these great things for Jesus, and think we're going to have merit badges. Whoever you you remember blazers at school? We had all these badges. There's some of you maybe didn't have any badges, which is okay. But you looked at these guys that looked like a Christmas tree coming on um, for all the achievements that they made. Um, And and we often we approach God like that. I just want to quickly just say, uh, the God of achievement distracts us. From following, Jesus by distra- uh, distracts us from following Jesus by distracting us with all things we need to get done. How often do we live with good intentions of spending time with Jesus and turning our heart toward Him only to find at the end of the day that's the one thing on our checklist that we never got around to do? Anybody that can relate with that? I definitely can. Okay, here's some symptoms for you just to do a check. A constant frustration with, do you, do you have a constant frustration with people in your life who from your perspective aren't getting it done? I'm right in the front of the queue there. A constant sense of discontentment with yourself for not getting done what you hoped you would? <laughs> Some people are laughing like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. When we worship the God of achievement, getting things done and getting things done right becomes more important than almost anything or anyone else. <laughs> that hits home for a lot of us that are task driven. But I want to say the people that are people focused, there's the other side of that coin as well. You need to get the task done at some stage. Amen. Say all the task people, yeah, talk to them as well. So, what I've put there at the bottom is there's two things to deal with okay? it's the idolizing of achievement or performance. But there's also the thing to be dealing with is the unnecessary idolizing, doing nothing or not being productive. Okay? You all have those people at work. Or you are that person at work. Okay. Where <laughs> you're on Facebook the whole time and anyway, I'm not, okay, I don't have time to go there. All right. Just just know that you need to deal with the idolatry of achievement and performance, but you also have to deal with the other side of not being idle or slothful, in that sense. Go. Okay. This is the add slash ADHD generation. We're always on the move, always trying to get something done. Squirrel. Our phones are constantly dinging to let us know there is a text we need to return or the appointment we're going to be late for. Now, who have you listened to the rest that I was saying after I said squirrel? A few of you. Okay, that was the point I was making, okay? We're the ADHD generation. That squirrel just threw you all out, out the window, okay? All right. <laughs> yeah, all right. So listen to what I'm saying. We're always on the move, always trying to get something done. Our phones are constantly dinging to let us know there is a text we need to return or a appointment we're going to get, be late for. Okay, in closing, how many times have we been so distracted that we've, been, that we've missed a divine moment. How many things does God long to say to us, but He keeps getting our voicemail because we're too busy to pick up? Working hard and achieving goals are an important part of a God-glorifying life. Amen? But they are not life. They are not even a measuring stick for the worth of life. Remember the golden calf? You can't take all your merit badges, throw them in the fire, and out comes a golden calf. We make, we often we make other idols which we worship before God. God doesn't want our resumes. He wants us. He wants your heart. He wants our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And the last point there is just that we need to really choose that we will put that which is better first. That we will first sit at the foot of Jesus before we decide what to do. Because God does command us to do stuff. Amen? But often we run around with the wrong stuff because we haven't actually sat down at the foot of Jesus first. And I want to say, God doesn't not only talk to you in your quiet time. He talks to you. Just keep your phone on, in a sense. Keep your radar on 24-7 during the day and night. Make yourself available for Him to talk to you at any stage. Sometimes just put your natural phone off for Him to talk to you. Amen. Okay, so in conclusion, what to do. If you relate to this and... uh, Maybe I was rather ask who does not relate to this and you can pray for us. But I don't think there's anybody that relates, not, not relate to this in some way. I'm going to pray just a prayer of repentance. And at the end I want you, if you relate to this in some way, just, just acknowledge to God. And whatever it is that you're repenting of, that you identify with, bring that thing to God. Don't allow running after money, running after success, running after achievement, running after the promotion... Running after to be seen by people, or your boss or your manager or your colleagues. Don't let those things stand in the way of worshipping God first and foremost. Father, I thank you that we can come this morning. Not one of us, God, have, have come as, as, in a sense, arrived. We've not, we cannot enter into presence by our merits. We cannot buy our way into heaven. We cannot buy our way into a better spot in heaven even. But Lord, you've called us to be faithful with that which you've given us. Our time, our finances, our money, our talents. And you've given each and every one of us, God, what you've pleased to steward on your behalf. And we acknowledge, God, that you own cattle on a thousand hills. You own everything in this world. And Lord, I pray that you'd come and show us how to steward our finances. It is yours. Come and show us what we need to do with our finances. Lord, we repent this morning, God, of... Allowing achievements and success, performance and money, God, to take priority before worshipping you. Lord, I know that you that You talk to each and every one of us. And I pray, God, that we would not harden our hearts in these areas, God, to ignore you when you talk to us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you will continue to talk to us as we go home and as we go into this week, God. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you give us the wisdom to know how to go about managing these things and stewarding it on your name, in your name. Lord, we put you back on the throne and we worship you as the one and only true God We repent that we make so much of things that are really just temporal. And I pray, God, for just such a paradigm shift to an internal perspective whether in the natural we have lots or whether we have lack, whether we have little pray God, for such a godly contentment to just rest in our hearts for where we are at, that we would not compare ourselves to, to people around us, but that we would fix our eyes on you. We give you glory, Lord. We give you honor. In Jesus' name. Amen.